Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in television and film by focusing on the career of a modern master of horror and what I call a multi-hyphenate filmmaker, and that is Mike Flanagan. So you may recognize that name if you remember hearing or listening to our Halloween special. So Mike Flanagan is someone we've been following for a long time now, and we promised you guys, and now we're delivering a show just on Mike Flanagan. So you know who's joining us today. That's right. Our favorite horror connoisseur. Hey guys, this is Mike Flanagan here. I'm Mike. (laughs) Oh, it's Mike. Flan- I'm Mike. I am Mike Flanagan. Hello. Oh, my God. We have Mike Flanagan yeah, on the show. Big, I've been a big Flanagan. fan. Me and oh, all Ms. of my Welch. celebrity fans, um, Tunde, you told me that. about it. I, um, I've loved you know, TV on the radio for years, and he was telling me about this show. Yeah, we have a lot of celebrity uh, fans of the show. Elon, Mike, Tunde, and also uh, Philip Church of philipchurch.tech. Are you familiar with him? Heard of him. Okay. Heard of him. Yeah, Love like him. his work. Yeah. So uh, you're going to be kind of speaking on his behalf today because he was supposed to be here today. Couldn't make it. Um, but I, Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Obviously, guys, it's Philip Church of Philip Church. Hey, that's who's joining us. And Our favorite voice horror, acting. Kind of Bam. Ba, 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 that sounds, if you've ever seen an interview of Mike Flanagan, that sounds just like him. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. Fact, yeah, it's uncanny. So, uh, Mr. Church, hello, we need hello. to tell the good people. Thanks for having me. Of course. And we got to tell the good people why why we delivered on our promise. Yeah. We I... told the world we were going to do a piece just on Mike Flanagan. I found myself naturally smitten with his works over a series of time. And once that sort of was recognized, I guess you could say, once I sort of realized like, okay, I like this guy's work, uh, kind of culminating after the uh, debut of Haunting of Hill House, uh, it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm so on board. And even since that really sort of major re-jumping on point, I should say, yeah. uh, into the more modern like Netflix and streaming era, because he's been making stuff for for a while now. I mean, like, not exactly two decades, but rega- I mean, technically, if you go back to his earliest writing and even when he was like still sort of a studying or however you want to call that phase, he's, he's been at it for a while. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, he's got such a awesome style that it 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 grabbed me. Um, it while it's prevalent across his works, it's still each work is definitely its own beast. He's got such a way with balancing a phenomenal plot and characters with the actual just atmosphere and scariness of a thing. And uh, yeah, he's just yet another person consistently cranking out the hits for years and years now. And so I just kind of feel like he's a little more of maybe a um, household name than people would realize, like many of the other people that we decide to bring onto the show. He fits that category, in my opinion. And he hit the scene at a perfect time, because much like our thesis on the hol- on our Halloween special of 2022, we are going still, in my humble opinion, going through a renaissance of horror and television and film. And I really feel like Mike Flanagan, Mike Flanagan is leading the charge. 
He's that good. Now, before we can dis- now before we can discuss, of course, we all need a little background. So, Mike was born May twentieth, nineteen seventy-eight, in Salem, Massachusetts. Happy oh my God, how fitting! Guy. The uh, the witch trials, the horror fiction, right? Clearly, stay again, like them. chicken egg. Like, what, where are we at? You know. <laughs> He started roughly in the year 2000, and he has gone on to write and direct a number of great works, as already talked about, including 2011's Absentia, 2013's Oculus, 2016's Hush, 2017's Gerald's Game, 2019's Doctor Sleep, which was a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And of course, what he is most famous for is the Netflix anthology series, The Haunting Anthology of so The Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. I really, really hope there are more hauntings of type of Me seasons too. in Netflix. We, you know, soon to come, mm. you know, in the future, as well as um, man, deep cut favorite uh, Midnight Mass, yeah. uh, Midnight Club and what is on the horizon in 2023. Soon to be released, The Fall of the House of Usher. We cannot uh, yeah, wait. I'm a, I'm a fan of Poe, and it's really interesting to hear that they yeah that they're adapting like straight up. Uh, I get I I love that it it speaks volumes that the man is just being handed classics. Like he again, Gerald's <laughs> Game, as you just mentioned, he's worked with Stephen King obviously multiple times now. Yeah. Um, having done both Gerald's Game, um, and Doctor Sleep, uh, he, yeah, I mean he's just. Again, the man knows horror. This is literally just what he was born to do, it seems like, and has been leading to his whole life. You know what I'm strangely uh, excited for if he ever does uh, this, Mr. Church? I haven't said that in a while. I wanted to say that. Is is he owns the rights to the television version of the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. I've always been fascinated by that series of works by Stephen King. I'm a a huge King fan, for the record. And there are there are film versions of this. So there's film rights that, you know, I think it was Matthew McConaughey and Idris, Idris Elba, Elba. Yeah. And it just like did not quite. Land. I heard it was a turd salad. <laughs> it's a turd sandwich. And, um, and they clearly were going to try to make a franchise out of this so they could make because this is I think that obviously that was one like the Dark Tower is seven or eight, you know, books in a series. It's one huge um story you know a la harry potter or twilight or any of those books that you're probably more familiar yeah. with now i i god i want hey mike i know you're a huge fan of the show i know you're listening right now and i really want you to make this like seasons of it like every book is a season like what and <laughs> i just joked about the harry potter uh series you know being seven books they're doing that at hbo why don't you do that with, I think that he has like some sort of new deal with, uh, obviously has a deal with Netflix, but I think he has a little deal with uh, Amazon Prime. So I'm excited to see what comes out of those worlds. Yeah, the man distributors. probably has options. I'm pretty damn sure that <laughs> he could good. shop around if he needed to, but okay. regardless, he, he could stay with Netflix and continue just crushing. He's yeah, he's, he's going to crush and uh, we're going to discuss. But before we discuss... Guys, let's, uh, let's, little, let's take a little break. Let's hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back, guys. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. 
powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life, and I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours, or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it. Won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back, and now it is time to talk about all things Mike Flanagan. For the good people that don't know, again, he is, you know, what we like to do on our show is highlight an amazing artist that, yeah, people may, he's probably not a household name yet. So for the good people that don't know Mike Flanagan, let's talk style first before we go into his works. So his writing is, we're going to start writing. I, I want to break it down to, you know, the writing and then the visuals. And this guy's also an editor. He wears a lot of hats, but I, I want to start with the heart and soul of all stories, which is the writing. He is very dialogue heavy. But in a very tasteful way, I'm thinking Midnight Mass, kind of yeah, tasteful monologues. Mo so many awesome. They're so good. Yeah. But God, God damn. Yeah. Midnight Mass is full of them. <laughs> yeah. His his writing is is rich, for lack of a better word. It is tasteful. It is it is nuanced. It is thought provoking. Well thought out. I love. I I love his style, man. I like that he is aware of it to the point where, um, and again, here's another like fun fun fact about him is that he he is he's actually got a really hilarious Instagram page. Uh, well, not always hilarious. Obviously, like not everything is always funny, but when he wants to be, again, like he he is such a master of various types of. Well, again, he's a writer. He yes favors horror, but it's not like there aren't funny and like touching moments and all these things. You know, any any good writer isn't just versed in that one's sort of emotion or or niche or whatever and um i love that he has like instagram reels or whatever the hell they're called these days about like it's basically him trying to fight so hard the it's like you know day something something of like not delivering like you know a five minute monologue and it's him just looking like he's gonna explode he knows he's so aware of his monologuing but it's his strength so i love that he even pokes fun at himself with it but at the same time that's some of the things that stand out to me are these phenomenal monologues. He's so good at characters. I love how he writes his characters. Yeah, his characters, the development is without parallel. I think that's where, why he stands out because kind of digging into a little bit of his uh, thematic elements he likes to play with and consistently return to before we move on to some of his visuals is family familial intricacies and dynamics and struggles and hardships and conflicts. Uh -huh. And those are the best kinds of characters. Cause we see 
ourselves in them time and time again. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what makes it such good writing and, and how it's so relatable. I mean, Absentia is about like, you know, a, a very real issue while it might not be super like directly related to everybody and that maybe not everybody has sort of like lost a spouse, but anybody with a long-term partner or spouse can maybe like relate to the characters at Absentia, again, like Oculus uh, films. Um, I mean, like the haunting Ouija. of Hill House. Yeah, all, all of it. Literally, almost I everything. Mean, I mean, yeah. Whoa, Hill House is the is the, Hill House is is the pinnacle the family. of of yeah of like the family writing. But like it's it's again it's present in all of his works. Again, he's he's always thinking about the dynamic uh, and and relationships. And it's um, again, you just you won't find any like poorly fleshed out characters in his works that he at least created. And it's not only multi-dimensional, but multi-time framed. Like we see the little kid versions of the characters. True. We see the adult versions of the characters time and time again in his pieces. Uh, and yeah. he likes to play with that. Yeah, that is, especially in Hill House. There is a lot of jumping around in time and stuff. I mean, um, I don't know that Midnight's Mass did it as much or, or the movies, but he definitely utilized the heck out of that device of having more than one portrayal of each character in the family uh, in specifically in Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Now let's switch gears to visuals, cinematography, direction, the look of his pieces. Let's start first with the fact that his films and television shows and streaming shows just look beautiful. It looks incredible with the colors, the lighting, everything he chooses to do with his imagery is astounding, beautiful. And he has a way of uh, playing again with us, the audience, with the horror, with the tension, with how he likes to block things and move things. And something that has been refreshing to me as a film watcher over the years is the fact that he does not rely on jump scares like other filmmakers. With the exception of one insanely good jump scare that was also well, very well, to the scene. If it's earned, I've always said this, if a good jump scare, here's the thing about a good, a, a good jump scare. It has to be earned. You can't have a jump scare every five minutes or it loses edge, right? Agreed. A lot of his Mike Flanagan's scares and horror comes from within. Back to, again, the familial subject matter and things like that. What we can see in our real lives. And then, of course, he articulates that and shows a better version of that with the visuals in bringing in the monsters and the ghosts and the serial killer and the horror that we know in cinema. Got, I mean, I mean, literally in, in Haunting of Hill House, to go back to this one again, I feel like it's kind of just... It, it's, it's like the gold standard. Well, and it's you know, it's like the heart and when soul. When I said kind of his yeah. re-entry, because again, he started making like mainstream films back in, again, the early 20-teens, 2010s, whatever they're called these days. But again, it was really 2018's Hill House that thrust him back into like a huge limelight. So that's kind of what I was referring to earlier. Uh, if anybody was paying like weirdly way too much attention to what I was saying, but um, but anyways, yeah, I mean to to th that specific like show, I mean the house is a character. The, the house, house character. itself is Absolutely. its own character, and it deserves and therefore gets as much like you know screen time and and like and it's the scary and house stuff. stereotype. It is. It's creepy as fuck. It's so tense. But it's so good. It works. Um, and and Hill House is again also the only one that it deserves it. There is a Technically, it's kind of cheap, but at the same time, when you really go back and look at it, there is a jump scare in a scene where there's a lot of strife 
And what it essentially comes down to is that it's still playing on the family thing. And what it is, it is a direct device where he is forcing the conflict to take a back seat to the overall plot of the of the show. Um, but the way that he literally just uses a jump scare to do that, it, it beyond earns it. But it, he technically does it in a ask for forgiveness and not permission way. Because it's not that way up till then. And again, that's not like indicative of, of one of his works basically it's like if you've ever it, it, like his his stuff just is not full of cho- uh, um uh, it's not like chock full of jump scares it's not full of cheesy like just cheap things like it's it, it's it's actually very well thought out and incredibly detailed it's incredibly detailed which again hill house going back to but those long shots are full of background ghosts Oh yeah, I oh, fucking love that. Oh, I I Can love I that as you, well. Like, the, the, it's the, like, like an Easter third, egg hunt. The third, fourth, and fifth time I watched it were literally me just wanting to be like, "Did I catch all of the ghosts?" <laughs> it is an Easter egg hunt, and I think the takeaway message from that segment of our show is the fact that I think the the word we need to emphasize is that he's not relying on jump scares it's not that he doesn't use them he does use them and he earns them in the plotting and the narrative and the look of his pieces well there was one he doesn't rely on them i think that is they're here shortcomings but yeah that's the thing is of modern horror you think either typically gore or jump scares and luckily that is not the case as well at all as as you also mentioned um practical stuff like for instance how there's almost no point in doing anything too stupid in like Gerald's game. I mean, that's such an incredibly grounded story. Hush as well. Hush is very much non-paranormal supernatural. Um, Cause it's interesting. He had yeah, that that's like, a serial killer tale. Yeah. Hush, it's interesting. He know? had that like little dip of like, Ooh, what if I didn't do ghosts for a minute and then went back to ghosts? Cause he just fucking loves it. I think that has to be again, using your example of the chicken or the egg that has to be, part of the culture he grew up in, in I, Salem, I think so Massachusetts I kind of feel like it I, I I really feel like that just had to have been the thing is that he grew up being surrounded by such atmosphere and creepiness and it just uh, it feels like it must have resonated with him and he wanted to make it his own or find his own resonating you know frequency vibrations whatever uh because he just God, the guy just said, this is what I do. That's what he fucking does. <laughs> and it's and he's been consistently refreshing because he hasn't relied on the gore. He hasn't relied on the jump yeah. scares because that is the cheap way Unsettling tackling audience. Yeah. Well, tackling horror. Also know, that yeah. as a genre in film. And yes. Gore and is, is horrible. Yes. It's, injuries it's are easy scary. and jump Nobody scares likes to are easy. Get hurt. No shit. But how do you create tension? How do you create dread? How do you create true horror? And this guy does it almost effortlessly. While doing this beautiful dance of going in between his characters and their plots and the scare. Again, it's and like. It goes back to the writing. The it's, again, it's, writing it's no good how it's like the there's two things. It's like the show is Haunting of Hill House and there is the Hill House plot. But obviously, again, like that's just one character. And the entire other family, they're all grownups. They have husbands or wives, sometimes kids, like whatever. And all the things that come with being an adult with however many complex relationships is going on at the same time. This, again, just gorgeous choreography of and character. Oh, it's a dance, story work. Right? Yeah. It's, and again, and this, this these lovely, the ma- yeah, just maestro. fantastic ballet or opera, whatever you want to call it, of just like, all these, even the music. I loved when I when I went back. At, or not necessarily went back, but when I watched Absentia, um, that like do do 
doon, doon. like the slow piano <laughs> that is so quintessential That's Hill good. House is, yeah. is still present. It's like even the, the weird ghost makeup. Like there's took me hints, back. There's OG hints. Yeah, there's OG hints of Mike Flanagan all the way back in his first like major um, kind of release of Absentia from 2011 that are are found throughout a lot of his his own stuff. Because again, he was given... Um, Again, some King works, and he also has collaborated. And it's not like he's just insulated um, outside of his actors, which I would also love to jump into. But again, even the music, like the 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 music is also very like grounded and simple. It's it's typically just some piano, maybe some light orchestration, but it just it's not heavy handed. It is very it's such a light caress because he knows that like you no one thing needs to be pulled in any one direction that it is such a beautiful dance that he wants us to keep our eyes right on this beautiful prize in the middle um while again using every piece of his arsenal and to your point he is a master of all realms of filmmaking so not only writing and direction cinematography sound or score yeah i think sound and score he clearly has a hand in and also we a lot of people don't know that he has a long career in editing. He actually edits a lot of these pieces himself. Yep. And that is, again, the invisible special effect of all filmmaking and television and anything in this medium is putting it together. And anybody sure understood it's- what all editing does, especially for actual video and like media, like video, like visual media, because I mean, I edit audio, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Even that, like so much, like whether you're talking about a podcast or an audio book, but uh, anything that is media requires editing and it's bonkers how much editing does for media overall. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really strongly wish people that are sort of non that are non-creative, yeah, yeah. just really had it, had even appreciation. just better understand even, yeah, even just cause the appreciation I think comes out of the understanding of just how, slow and nuanced editing sort of can get or or it, it is at times unique vision that you started out seeking and that old saying is true movies are made in the editing room yep and the devil's in the details again editing all those shots into the back of his scenes in hill house or these little subtle things again like it's it's all about the subtle he wants you to notice that one weird curtain flutter in the back that is intentional he is one of those everybody should be a little bit more like of subliminal like, too is maybe a good word practically yeah i mean it does, should be that like work. every pixel on the screen is intentional like every aspect of the scene because you know like sometimes funny shit like oh uh, the other day in the last of us you know a fucking helicopter was in the back of some whatever it is like yes <laughs> editing shit happens and like there's goofs but it's still like it it actually it, there's there's so much to it of like just again how grand these things are oh yeah and and creating that continuity and movement and flow and then when you put all of those all of those elements together again going back to a previous point that you made he has a signature look and style and sound all the way back to his first pieces from his short mm-hmm. film of Oculus to Absentia, definitely Oculus. A Mike Flanagan film looks like a Mike Flanagan film. Like it's, he has his signature. He has a blueprint. He has that stamp that every, I think every filmmaker strives for, but he kind of came out of the the gates with a vision already 
I almost feel like he located his niche and and like created it before he was able to fill it and it was literally just like a caterpillar just waiting to be like I'm going to be such a fucking beautiful butterfly like <laughs> I know exactly which leaf I'm going to pick like I know where I'm going to flutter about I know what my wings are going to like I it really again it's it's so thoughtful and intentional um and again how much between the writing directing editing um and again even just like the relationships with his actors he all of it is long game well, all is, of it is, is much dedicated muse also too. that yes the girl yeah. who is in pretty much everything is his wife her name is kate um yes. she's pretty damn good i mean i get it uh she is at least a good actress it's not one of those like uh her again um that's the, it's like it is a bit like you know sometimes you're like really dude like for instance i don't know tim burton you know was obsessed with some people that it's kate siegel siegel thank you yes yeah um kate siegel but yeah i mean wife. she's she's pretty great and i mean i actually funny enough the first thing that i remember her in i think the easiest way for the good people to know if they're just getting in the mike flanagan is if you see hush ever in his filmography she is the main lead she's the female lead that's Kate. yeah but even like, even beyond his, his other too is another funny. yeah that's another cool thing again he he like i said he's a collaborator he really does work with the same people um he trusts their work obviously or else he wouldn't invite them back so you know people there are people who have probably um, even outside of his wife um there are a handful of people that have been in at least two three if not like four of his works um, because again, it's like, once you have that relationship and if you know that person can deliver the performance that will bring your work to life, keep working with them. With that being said, I think we need to start talking about his art and his works. So let's run through his filmography and kind of, uh, gush a little more talk shop. We're going to start with, uh, the work he did as a student in 2000, he made a film called make believe in 2001. He made a film called still alive 2003 ghosts of hamilton street but it wasn't until 2006 that he knew he was onto something 2006 he made a short film called oculus chapter three the man with the plan and that later turned into the 2013 version of oculus but before he did that he had to prove to the studios and the you know the powers that be that he can do this and he made a through a kickstarter fund he made 2011's absentia and we have seen a lot of indie films me and philip a lot of low budget b's and c's and for what he had to work with he still had the mike flanagan stamp yeah he still had the signature it still was it a great film as as mikey as anything <laughs> even again even i love the fact that like this the girl uh who was the main character from absentia even still she got to come back and have a role in haunting of hill house i remember spending so much of the movie going like god this one girl looks familiar and then i, I and it wasn't until i just took the damn time to look her up and be like yep she was in she was in other work of his that again he just he brought her back um and so again it's, i just love that I get, once again from the beginning whether you're talking about the <laughs> score the directing the way the ghosts in the background look the actors in the film he just like you said out of the gates he was like hey everybody i'm mike fucking flanagan i'll be here all week <laughs> i'm a filmmaker i have a vision and i'm going to fulfill it and make sure that my career shows that to be true as well yep. and we see that come to fruition with 2013 and actually Oculus. i do real quick i want to give like a random uh sort of plot synopsis at least about absentia it okay, it, it, it comes off as grounded at first and it actually goes into a weird supernatural twist but it is is essentially what absentia means is it's referring to the um 
state of being in absentia, aka when a person has just been missing for long enough to, for them to be pronounced dead. And it, it, it revolves around a uh, a woman who is pregnant and her husband has just straight up gone missing and she is in the middle of this process and then suddenly her sister um, who has had her own struggles in her life uh, kind of comes to her needing uh, a little bit of help and so it's sort of them both working through stuff uh, currently but obviously as sisters they have a shared past um, again it's it, it went in places that I just I wasn't expecting it or ready for it to go and it felt Flanagan all the way through. <laughs> Felt Flanagan all the way through. That's going to be the tagline of the show. Felt Flanagan all the way through. And again, that leads us to 2013's Oculus, where again, it's a family story about a very scary mirror. <laughs> I actually, uh, that, and not that just set it up like I was bathroom. making fun of it. I, I, I loved Oculus. I thought it was, it was great. And it feels like, a, it feels like one of those films that came out a year or two ago. It was 2013, one of those. Yeah, honestly, it, it you know, for something that kind of came out as his, like, yeah, I mean, second, like, big one. Um, it, it, Yeah, again, it really just, it, it was, it still felt very Flanagan, but I like that this leans immediately into the supernatural. But yeah, again, it's 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 got all the hallmarks. It's got, um, actually, I will say, this is probably one of his most one-off casts. I don't think anyone mm. outside of, of course, the fact that his wife was in this, mm. uh, Kate Siegel was in this, but outside of her, this is one of the least, uh, as I call them, none of the rest of the Flanagan are here. Flanagan. Ooh, I like that. Mikey and I the like Flanagan. We saw the main Flanagan member in Hush, which is the story of... A... Oh, and fun fact, uh, before we move too far forward, uh, Oculus had Karen Gillan, again, like way back before her big turn. As oh, yeah. Both, I believe, I think this was before or maybe... Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. Right? That was her That was her first, of course, like Big Big uh, coming out and as... And then as Big 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 was like, you know, the Marvel of the Galaxy yeah, exactly. and all that so, I mean, She's been in a handful of stuff and she's great. I mean, she was in Jumanji, but yeah, I mean... Obviously, as far as American audiences go, you probably won't recognize her until Guardians of the Galaxy as Nebula, a.k.a. like the purple and blue bald-headed alien. So, And I'm glad you gave her a little love because I, I, that's another name I feel like probably people wouldn't, most lay you know, audiences wouldn't be familiar with. Yeah. Unless and they're... interestingly, Katie Sackhoff is currently uh, on The Mandalorian. So the uh, the oh, mother shit. character, it's all the mother character from <laughs> Oculus is currently having like another big tour de force with her part as whatever the hell she plays in Mandalorian. I don't really watch it anymore. I gave up in season two. I, I, we, you know what's so effing funny that you brought that up? Me and my wife finished the what is it season three tonight? Like right before oh, no we went we went on air for this show, we finished it out. And um, you 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 were correct to maybe take a break from it it's this season was all over the goddamn map it had no continuity it had no uh singular arc or vision for a season i i get what they're trying to do though uh this is a t-buck tangent corner on the mandalorian first season they, phenomenal second season i could feel they were losing losing it was steam. not the way that was not the losing way. steam <laughs> it was not the way i think their path to getting back on this is the way is making sure that they you know, pick a goddamn lane. It was like both. I know. I'm just. I started losing it. I was just like, well, what's, what's the plot? What's the thing? Are, do it wasn't even about anymore? the Mandalorian yeah. anymore. Or How many Grogu? Mandalorians do we need? Which one is the? Has this all been a fucking ruse? Now, like, I, I think, I think what they want to set it up as is, um, we're going to try to retake Mandalore and repopulate 
the Mandalorians as a society. Cool. That is, I think, the vision for the rest of their series, or rest of the series arc with multiple seasons. But best of luck. <laughs> Let's do a Novo pullback and talk about Hush. Yeah. Hush was a great, great film, as already stated. Limited cast, Kate limited Siegel, location. Right, lower budget slasher kind of horror film about it's like a nothing but final killer. girl yeah hunting the final girl who it's a it's a twist on yeah. this kind of a story somebody in a creepy mask found somebody in the woods by themselves deaf, a deaf mute yeah she's deaf mute and she happened to go out in the middle of nowhere to be able to and she's a writer <laughs> and, and what this again this is the big one that they collaboed on this is a big collaboed and it really lands. It's uh, it's everything great about those kind of films where we have this. I'm glad it didn't go like body horror or too slashery or gory. I was worried that with it, it not was having a supernatural thr- it was more element, thriller. Yeah, I was really I was worried it. that it was going to take on too much of another like shittier or lesser sort of it was aspect of horror. Cat and mouse. Exactly. You know? it was, I need it to was, get away. Yeah. I need to win. I need to survive. So I did from the serial only killer. watch it the one time. Like again, I'm not like we did one loving too. and yeah. gushing it necessarily, yeah. but it's just it's not like it was bad. It's just that it is such a specific premise that I just don't feel like I need to see that again. Um, but it's still, it's like I actually think that was my introduction to uh, Mike Flanagan, anyways, because again, that was before um, Hill House came out, and Hill House is what mm. really swept me up and made me get Flana fever. Did you? Did you get a chance to see the next one on our list before I wake? So, yeah, the only things I haven't seen outside of his like super earliest student work is I actually did not finish Midnight Club. I only saw like the first episode. Well, we'll get there. I think there was there was more criticisms than usual with uh, something he his name is connected to. And I, I think I know why. So put a pin in that. Uh, tell us about Before I Wake before we move on to Ouija. Yeah, um, Before I Wake is, is a really interesting premise um, is more about uh, Found families in that it is a uh, a a couple um, who again I believe they I can't remember they lost a child yeah yeah they lost a mm-hmm. child and so they're looking to adopt the boy they happen to adopt has this weird gift where what he dreams about comes to reality and all the things that that comes with because it's like dreams can be so lovely and pleasant and magical dreams can be absolutely horrifying and traumatic and show you the darkest corners of your mind and. Um, it interestingly also has uh, the least number of the Flanagan. It's again, it's almost like it's Kate Bosworth. Yeah, Thomas. Yeah, Kate Jane. Bosworth and Thomas Jane is such an interesting cast and some like random. And kid. Jacob Trim- Trimbley or Trimbley before he was in the room before he became a oh no a, shit a household name. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay, fun. Yeah, the um, little boy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah before um, he was in the room with uh, Captain Marvel. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Um. Yeah, so again, it's, it's, you know, going going to the supernatural um, and again, talking about family uh, and loss. And again, how you've got the overall supernatural plot, but a lot of it is talking about, again, like loss, you know, again, the loss of a child. It's it's a very relatable thing that whether you just, whether you have, God forbid, you've lost a child, or if you just have one and know how awful that um, scenario sounds, it's just, he's he's so good. Mike loves bringing the relatable stuff and he just has his like Mike twist of again, like, okay, what if you adopted a kid whose dreams came real? And this is famous in his filmography because he has jokingly stated that the film itself was cursed. Because remember, he made this circa approximately, you know, even before Hush, but it didn't come out until 2016. 
And he part of the reason was because the film distributor or financier or something like went bankrupt and it had to be shelved for a long time. It was one of those kind of film histories where he made it like a long time ago, but couldn't actually release it because of distribution and rights issues. And he, you know, someone had to buy the rights to the film and eventually Netflix did. I actually and, did not get into all that stuff. Yeah, well, you know, Novo likes a little fucking history. As much as I hate, that. you know, what's funny. As much as I don't like real, like, international politics or American history, like I am the worst historian on the goddamn planet. Like, do not have me on your trivia team at some bar because I'm not going to be the history guy. I'm going to be obviously the pop culture guy. I'm going to know music and film and all that shit. So sign me up for that, but don't sign me up for the history. But for some reason, when it comes to film history and music history oh yeah yeah so you, the history you of memor- the arts memorize the entire I'm the guy yeah the, the entire works of a certain director got you you want me got to remember you. somebody's birthday <laughs> fuck got you. you nope sorry about you now Unless after before i wait because now i know it's may 20th also i will say before i wake the premise alone it did rely a lot on cg and i will say a lot of that is probably why it's one of his weaker because again it just felt so fantastical and almost silly it's not right. a bad there movie. There was a cartoonish element. If, it, yeah, it's an interesting over-reliance premise. over on CG. But something about it having like a, a child lead, it made it softer and just kind of, it, it, it took away from from it as, as far as it being a really heavy hitter. So it's, yes, it'll play with your emotions, but just overall, it, it's 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 one of his weaker, yet at the same time, it, it's like, again, you got to play the game. So until he had big studio money and had proved his worth, you got to do what you got to do. And he, again, I guess had been sitting on it being like, oops, like I made this thing that can't be bought. And then he had, it's like, well, I, fuck, if I can sell it. And get I, it yeah, ooh, ooh, yeah. And after that, he made Ouija Origin of Evil, which is the sequel to the original Ouija film. And this is where... <laughs> the Mother Flanagan! I will like, I will say that there, obviously, where there's a little more... It was a little bit of jump scary kind of a film. Yes, this one, yeah, a lot of a lot of little girls with wide eyes and big mouth kind of jump scares, um, that kind of shit. So it's it's a it's a fun watch. Give it a watch. Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I, I definitely want to get into Gerald's game. Doctor, yeah, Cost. of course the it's not I feel as like his big work. hits was it's the cool. Netflix if, stuff. if you love it, if you like end up loving Mike and you're like, yeah, watch it again. It's it has a lot of again the signatures. It's kind of cool to watch as far as being a fan of Mike Flanagan goes. But again, if you're not like a huge film person or especially if you aren't that in a horror, you probably could skip that because it again it's. Yes, he wrote and directed it, but there's just something about it having like a bit more of a studio slash like someone had to buy this feel. Unlike so many, again, like Absentia. And really talk like him hauntings. into it. Yeah, the haunting uh, anthologies. And like he, again, he hadn't got to that point where he was just like, just let me do what I want to do. They didn't trust him yet. And I, that's kind of what I feel like. This was another. Well, somebody, they did somebody give else him... was like, who wants to make a sequel to this? He, they did give him a little bit, well, I would say a lot of bit of leeway because part of the pitch to getting him to jump on board and do this was, I remember in an interview, he said that the producer at the time just asked him, what do you want to do? And Mike was like, I want to make like a period piece. He's like, okay, okay. And what kind of period piece? Period of piece about X, Y, and Z. And he's like, okay, what's if we just like then after the brat after the fact kind of shoehorned in you know brought in the ouija element to just tie it to the first film yeah he's like i could do that i could do that yeah and it's it's not that heavily focused around the ouija it's more about like the after effects and once again the family aspect 
a mother and daughter and like a, a home of whatever, like children, whatever the shit. <laughs> In 2017, he went on to executively executive produce Deborah, See Your Evil, but it wasn't until Gerald's Game that he got to write, direct, and edit again. I did get a chance to see Gerald's Game. It is, if you've ever read the book or the story from Stephen King, it's like a lot of people have said it's it was unfilmable, but I feel like he really did well with the source material. Yeah, honestly, uh, I, I'm on the other side of those tracks where I have not read the original. I've only seen mm. that adaptation of it, but I will say that I still Well, especially feel... like in the later acts, it gets weird with the, we'll call him the shadow, the tall man, the weird, like the monster character that comes yeah. into the film. Um, there's this elements of it. Like you first just think it's between, you know, the very beautiful, what's her name? Gina. Carla Gugino. Yeah. Mm. Very, very. One of the Flanagan and she comes back multiple times. I love it. Yeah. And, and Bly, and Bly Manor again. And Hill House. And Hill House. She's the, yeah. she's the, she's the young, she's oh, yeah, like the mother. She's the, and Hill House. She's a very yeah. main character, but yeah, she's one of the protagonists of Bly Manor as well. So yeah, again, once again, she got inducted into the Flanagan. Thanks to Gerald's <laughs> game, I think. And then in 2019, we have the sequel to The Shining, which is Dr. Sleep, starring Ewan McGregor. And I, I think a lot of people, this is another one kind of like The Midnight Club that wasn't as well received. And this was probably his biggest production to date. And I think that's probably why he's scaled down again. He's like, I just want to work in television and tell my stories. I don't want to well, I think, make big blockbusters. I think with Hill House having had such success, and then I guess with how what for whatever reason Doctor Sleep was panned, um, that I think that well, that no, I don't think anything he's done has been like panned. Well, panned. it was like a seventy. I, I, that's here, true. It's I a should say on relatively Tomatoes, speaking, which is like fairly as, good. yeah. As far as Mike Flanagan's work goes, that's being panned. Relative, for him, yeah. of it just not relatively being like loved speaking. and worshipped. Right. Um, because it was it was cool. I thought it was I thought it was legit. And I mean, it really is like that's a real fucking book. Like Stephen King really did write Doctor Sleep twenty like, years it, later. Yeah, like years it later, just, whatever. Yeah, which is still, crazy. Like, it's all real. Like it. So it, it's it's interesting that it's almost like he. Again, it's almost like he caught the flack for what was like a weird delayed sequel um, that people just like didn't even ask for. So let's let's talk about his the babies. Let's do the haunting midnight mass, and um, we'll talk we'll talk a little midnight club and follow, I probably, could talk about house Hill House. I know I felt like you could, we could do a whole episode on just the haunting of Hill House. We could we could honestly again it's it's so damn good. Uh, if I were to tell, if anyone wanted to see the most Mike Flanagan work, uh, whether it's the nostalgia, I could be wrong and that I'm weirdly, you know, since I literally wasn't introduced to him until 2016, but Hush didn't blow me away and make me go look him up. Again, it wasn't until Hill House that I was just like, holy effing S, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Even outside of it just being horror. <laughs> even outside of it being a horror show because there's so much, again, besides it's the not horror. A ton of, there's not a ton of horror in No, again, horror it really show. is very much familial and dramatic and intense and, and thrilling. I mean, there's so many other elements to it. Like, yes, it has creepy ghosts. There are There is a scary house. There are some ghosts. Um, the haunting word, it's not just like metaphorical. I'm not just haunted by all the mistakes I did last year. Uh, this is there is a real that haunting. though too though. Oh, there that's is, real. very nuanced and it's very metaphysical in terms of the haunting of their past. Yeah, that's true. It is a bit of both. They're both haunted by their own histories and they are literally haunted by the house. So again, that actually, that pretty much sums up Double the beautiful dance. That is the yeah. beautiful dance. There are the two hauntings. Dance. And I think that's part of why this this show, again, is just too brilliant. And that 
the entire family, every, again, everybody's unique. Everybody has their own problems and challenges, and therefore they're all haunted by a certain thing. And then they all share what this house did to them and continues to seem to do. And this was such a tour de force with his helm as the showrunner, because again, he did everything. And he did, again, I can't stress this enough, he had a lot of credits before this. If you look him up on Wikipedia or IMDb or whatever, it's just often that he was the editor in the room and not the writer and director and wearing the other hats until he finally wanted to break. I feel like this was, you know, him saying to the world, okay, I made the, I've made other things, but I, I'm going to be here for the rest of my career. Yeah, like this, this is, is what I've been waiting for. And I have it now. I have arrived. It really, it really is. He just, he just plopped the damn thing down. and was just like, that's right. Nine inches, five inches thick. Like deal with it. <laughs> he had a lot of energy. Wait, sorry. Let's never mind. <laughs> What? And that brings us to 2020. Got that BDE, you know what I mean? That show had had all of Flanagan's BDE. But yeah, I guess I love the roots of the Flanagan. I love um, that like this, it had such a fantastic all-star cast. Um, and again, like just the relationships that he clearly started with a lot of these people um, and how it goes on through uh Bly Manor through Midnight Mass um you know in in again even like into movies and stuff of just things again I I love that it all feels it just feels so personal it really feels like he is mm. sharing a thing with you absolutely and and we feel that way with 2020s the haunting of Bly Manor again which is it's good it, it's, it's very House, much but a it's gothic spiritual it a gothic successor horror. right to the haunting of Hill House but there is an element of when you compare this, you're going to feel like you're comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, it's so different. It, it is literally both a haunting, but it doesn't feel at all like it. it. It feels like it's not so much the house. It literally feels like there's its own separate malicious entity throughout the, just the, the, the story of Bly Manor that like it's not so much that the house itself is evil, but that maybe like the house just keeps accidentally housing or whatever it is. But it, it's different. <laughs> it's I love the fact that it's part of the anthology. It followed it up immediately outside of, of course, Dr. Sleep technically, but that was a, a film release. But as far as his, his show releases go, this was, it almost felt like it was supposed to be sort of a sequel. And again, it had a, a handful of the same actors and actresses. And um, again, it just, but it still, it was very, very different as far as telling a centrally sort of literally a physically located like specific thing um, and the various characters that orbit the thing. Um, it, it's, it, he managed to make it the other side of the coin. It does not feel like, oh, this was your leftover shit from Hill House. That's not it at all. It literally feels like its own carefully crafted thought out work. And I think a lot of people would argue or feel the same way, even with Midnight Mass, 2021's Midnight Mass. I, it feels again, like feels a like haunting, a the haunting. It feels you know, like, a, uh, like a, yeah, it's like a beautiful love letter from your past. And this one, I think, really stuck out to me because of the religiosity of it. Yeah. The idea of if you were one of the people in on the island that you would. And I could I could see myself for a split second thinking, maybe this is an angel. It's possible. I mean, they sound terrifying. Go fucking back and read the Bible. They're like covered in <laughs> eyes and wings. Um they're not meant to be comprehended by a say as a who knows like it has wings it's sort of grants a type of like life there's something supernatural to it i don't know 
I feel like he was also in the zone already with the the direction and the cinematography and how he wanted to block things and how he wanted to make things look. And this is where... So he was already in the zone there, but he, I think he wanted to take his writing to the next level. And I feel like this yeah. really stands apart from his earlier works. This one... And I think that's why... I mean, I have... I've seen a lot of other reviews and read reviews on this and this, even this one can be a little polarizing, not so much on the professional critic criticisms and reviews, but usually just the, the, you know, the lay audience, you know, not the, so the audience, you know, rotten tomato score and things like that. It'll probably be like a little lower than the critical score because a lot, it was very talk heavy, very dialogue heavy, it didn't have as much of the monster and the scares like a lot of people are expecting because I mean, again, granted, these once stories it fucking took off in the end. It just went right. It's it's you know his stories rails. are always grounded grounded in reality and and with human connection and interactions and dynamics. And again, a lot of these people are related, so there's the familial dynamics and all of these things. It's it's always rooted in the people, and I think a lot of people are like, well, we want more of we want more of the scares and the ghosts and the monsters. And he's like, I'll give that to you guys. Just, you know, hold on to your butts. But I, we'll I like that. This also brought out, um, there was an aspect through that one bitch that, um, well, she played that role. Perfectly. Oh my God. She was a monster. We, we, she was, she was couldn't a wait to kill her. Mon- yeah. She, she was a monster like outside of like, Basically, like, yes, yeah, she was religious, but even outside of that, like her her just personality and writing. There's was so some loathsome. actors and actresses oh like God. Joffrey and Game of Thrones, like they play a role so well that it's you hard love to separate to hate the them. art and the artist. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, are they like this in real fucking life? I felt that way. Another example that popped in my head was do you remember the Green Mile with Tom Hanks? I remember it. Not very well. Well, the villain of that story, one of their associates, one of the other guardsmen, if you will, was some character, I think, named Percy or something like that. And he kills the mouse. And like I I was as a little boy when I saw that movie, I was like, God, I hate like he's he did it so well. I hate I hated not only the character, I hated the real person in a way. I was like, is this guy is this how he is all the time? <laughs> and just to pull it back to Midnight Mass, I think we all felt that way about that female villain. Yeah, she was a monster. Like the the technical, I love that he was almost like um, an anti-villain, right? Like the, the term anti-hero is a thing, but it's like the main priest is technically, it's not, he's not exactly the bad his guy. His heart's in the right exactly. place. Exactly, his heart's, he really means well and he genuinely does care about these people, but he is also so lost from his way again because i mean again there's there's all kinds of plot stuff that i don't know how spoilery we want to get so it's like he was kind of in a weird fervor and i mean you know when you're at a certain point in your life this has been out for a while so i'm gonna it say has, it has again it's a vampire audience. it's a fucking vampire it's not an angel it's a vampire um, but he goes there old as fuck too he's literally on like death's door looking for answers in religion and he finds the vampire and the vampire makes him young and so again, to, to him, it's like, okay, he was at death's door. That's nearly traumatic. You have this experience. I mean, people are able to do all kinds of things in their brains that, you know, you rewrite an event, um, however it is that lets you process it. So, it, I mean, again, it's, it's, it is actually very good, like legitimately realistic writing and character work that this priest who has been searching his, literally his whole life for some sort of answers, you know, obviously like, you know, that 
priests are just there. That's what they're looking. They're, you know, always looking for further enlightenment and to, to spread words, et cetera. Um, and, and how this guy's goal, uh, was sort of like perverted in this moment of like extremity. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's so, it's actually very believable. Uh, and again, it's, it's, you, you don't, you don't dislike him. It's really, again, it's the other bitch. It's like, there's other characters. It's there's, there's people that are meant to be disliked that it's like, they're not exactly the main villain either. They are not the, the antagonist. He's so good at the balance of how complex every human being sort of really is. And this film, or I should say limited series, creates, I think, a perfect trilogy of works from Mike Flanagan. So we're asking our audience a lot. So if you've if you've never seen Mike Flanagan's work and you're getting more into horror and modern horror, just if you don't have I know everyone's got a day life. They got they got their day job and they're probably their, fam- their own families and all that stuff. Fools. So just watch these three is what I'm asking. Watch True. The Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass, and you will understand. Your home, yeah, about. homework from this show. Start with start with Hill House and then twist. watch Midnight Mass. You will know whether you want to continue investigating. It'll be on the test. Yeah. He will you will know by the end of it. If not Hill House, then definitely by Midnight Midnight Mass, whether you're like, gimme. Give me more. Give and, me then, more. and then you can get into the the earlier works. Yeah, then do, obviously, then explore them in whichever order you freaking want. Exactly. That leads us to 2022's The Midnight Club. Yes, as already joked about and talked about earlier in the show, it did not get as much praise. It was a little bit of a, a dip, a, a valley, if you will. In I was in a weird place. So again, I actually didn't finish it, sadly. Well, you know what's funny? You know, the time has a funny way of shining a better light on art. And a lot of people have grown to love this as well. But I think at the time, here is my theory, at the time why it didn't get as much love as it probably deserved is it wasn't a Mike Flanagan exclusive. It was a team of writers and directors True. and they all take turns telling their own little story. So it wasn't just a cohesive vision by a single artist. It was many artists, which is good too. I love, I really like, you know, a la the Cabinet of Curiosities kind of anthology series. I, I grew up with Tales from the Crypt, those kind of things. I've always liked these kind of stories and this kind of way of telling stories, and especially horror stories or science fiction or what have you. It's, so I still say give it a try. It may not be for every for everyone. May not be your cup of tea. I mean, people, some people fucking love it. Yeah, some people love it. So I'd say still you just, give you it a really try. Just never and, know. In the flank gang filmography, Mikey and the and I, you know gang. what sucks? You know what sucks, Mister Church is um, we still don't have. At the time of this taping of the show, we still do not have a release date on the fall of the house, the fall of the House of Usher. Even though we know, I've done my homework. They wrapped in June or July of oh, they're 2022. Done. Yeah, they're done. So that means they're in the final editing and effects, so post production phase. And you know, Netflix has to be smart, like any studio, in how these things are released. They can't do it, you know, during March Madness or no one's going to watch it. Right. So or like during the Super Bowl. So I and it's horror. So, of course, uh, I'm guessing uh, an October release, maybe early November. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Or late November, early October, something like it's going to be a fall release somewhere in there. I just don't we don't know yet. 
but a we are excited. I feel like because this the is House of Usher release. This is going to be yes. This is going to be a, another return to form to his his little. I expect great things. Of, uh, I don't feel like that's. A, 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 I don't. I'm not worried about like setting myself up. Um, again, I I am that. Well, he's been consistent. Again, I, I exactly. I'm he's that confident in his work because the man has produced such great shit consistently for the last like 15 years practically. So tell the good people then why study the works of Mike Flanagan. Yeah, he's brought horror beyond its schlocky like 90s and 2000s final destination like, like evil what dead. if this crazy shit happened to your body or again especially past the the torture porn eli roth of like oh what if you had to you know fucking cut your own hand off with weird, uh, old, yeah. weird old needles like neat that's not horror that's just, that's just i did like saw that it's for the well, again the first one was cool and all but it's still it's just yes it's terrifying to think of but it's like it's it's also just so fantastically silly that we needed somebody to bring us back to an awesome grounded place mm. and even his supernatural works feel grounded with how solid his characters are there's so much approachable stuff that the inclusion of the supernatural uh it's not a turnoff and in fact it really just complements all of it and uh, it's like just going back to the beautiful dance the supernatural stuff is like a cherry on top to these awesome characters to these rich worlds uh, of people with their again histories their shared pasts um all the various conflicts and the events that have happened to them um it, it's it's a it's a tour de force across so many aspects of a visual medium that is is why the works of Mike Flanagan again it is it crosses the score the editing all the way back starting at the from just the the insemination in your brain of an idea of him starting with it and doing everything it takes to see it through to its wonderful like bringing it to life of just its actual culmination of being uh, of being brought to viewers um that you feel all of it and there you have it folks the works the art the horror of Mike Flanagan and his career th thus far. To oh, be yeah. Continued. There's, yeah, we, the man, I'm a fan for life. He, again, we're, we're... There will be more to see, more to consume, more to watch and enjoy. He's clearly not going to stop. <laughs> but until then, thank you guys so much for listening. I want to thank you. I want to thank my guest, Mr. Philip Church. But before we go, you know, we got a little icing on the cake for you a little cherry on top of what we call the gem of the week before we dive into the gem of the week let's talk sponsors today's gems are brought to you by zencaster zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings what's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks and it's all backed up on a secured cloud so you never lose your hard work even better, it's easy to use and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's z-e-n.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gems. We're, we've been talking about horror the, all, the whole show, so let's talk a little bit about horror and gaming. The rumors are true. RE4 remake, Resident Evil 4 remake is absolutely great. Is it? It's a blast. It's uh, so I was holding fun. off a little bit. It's so great. It's so great. Philip, what do you got for us? I've been on the show so many times that I, I have probably talked about this guy before. Hence, he's my like in passing. But again, the wonderful, beautiful poetry of Jackson Brown's lyrics to his music is one of my favorite things. He's an everyman. 
Um, mm. But he's also got just phenomenal songwriting chops and a really just good, reliable voice on top of that. Um, so I do want to throw out Jackson Brown just in case I haven't before. I feel like I might have, but that's I how good he is. I think you have. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Jackson Brown, fantastic singer-songwriter. Granted, he got his start back in the 70s, so he's nothing new, but just something that I love. But uh, also, I saw a scary movie as well. Um, mm. Or sorry, uh, your thing, your scary was a game, um, technically, uh, Resident Evil 4. But yeah. um, Evil Dead Rise. Oh. It was fucking fun. I really enjoyed it as a fan of that's Evil Dead, our, as a fan that's of our Sam Q. Raimi. Uh, again, just bringing it back to the horror, but um, man, it was a fun, it was a fun, fun ride. Like it, it didn't, it, again, it also didn't feel like it was trying too hard to just be like, oh, we need to go gore porn because, you know, Sam Raimi's films are often known for their like ridiculous. Um, like almost special. silly. Yeah. Again, like the gore and the chainsaws and all the blood and shit. So um, I, they I luckily kept soul. it. Yeah. They kept it uh, silly enough. And there were things that had me laughing. And then there were things where I was just like, oh, my fucking God. For the good people that may want to check out your work or maybe hire you or get to know you, how do they do that? Me? Um, yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, I'm not just a podcast guy. <laughs> I am an audiobook narrator. And uh, I love character voices, uh, character work. Um, video games and animation is my ultimate goal and dream. Uh, but I've been narrating audiobooks for, yeah, roughly like 10 or uh, actually probably more like 12 years now. And my website is Philip Church, Philip with one L, philipchurch.tech, uh, because I am still at heart a nerd. And I would still also love to talk about why is your laptop slow or can I help your home network? Um, you know, let's chit chat. It doesn't just have to be voice stuff. Let's do a little bit of both. Love it. And if you like that, you can always check us out at NovaDayProductions.com. You can follow us at underscore Nova, underscore Day, and Day is D-E, and at Nova Day Media. Like, subscribe, do all the things. And if you'd like to sponsor our little love child or be on the show, you can do so by emailing us at NovaDayMedia at gmail.com. So until next time, we'll see you in the next one. So be good to each other, and as always, good luck and God speed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions. Created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.